our Trump brand is built upon two very, very important philosophies. We are built on the concept of never settling. So no matter how good we get at anything, there is always space for better. And the second one, when we hire people, we hire them for their passion, drive, and enthusiasm. I could care less about their experience in the job. If they have those three skills built in, I can teach them anything. So it's never settle and passion, drive, and enthusiasm. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. All right, welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor. I am very excited to have my friend Gabriel Constantine, the managing director of the Trump International Hotel and Tower in Chicago, one of the most iconic buildings in the country. Uh, so Gabriel, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here with me today. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here and I'm excited about doing my first podcast ever with you. Oh my gosh, what an honor that I have to have you on here. So, you know, Gabriel, we like to do here is we like to start with the first job in hospitality that got you hooked on our beautiful industry. What was your first job? Uh, I remember washing dishes for one of our hospitality businesses in uh, Romania that my family owned and managed, particularly my uncle. So washing dishes was my first glorious uh, job in hospitality. I will never forget that experience. Wow. So you were working with your family, washing dishes. What kind of place was it? It was a restaurant with a nice terrace and an outdoor ice skating ring. Is it still there? Do you, is it, or is it moved on? No, it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that's a shame. It was called Floresca, and it was very famous in Romania at the time. Uh, the complex exists now, but it doesn't have the restaurant and the facility that we run. How old were you when you were doing that? What age range? Around 14 years old, 15. So 14 or 15, running around the family's restaurant. And how did you continue transitioning? Was that something you stayed in or was that just like a summer job and you decided you were going to go be a famous soccer star one day or did you continue doing hospitality? No, I mean, that was just for a little bit of cash and extra money for the summer. But I continued on and off in all the businesses that we did in Romania in hospitality. My primary fascination and job at the time, I was a professional fencer in Romania and I was fencing for Steaua Bucharest. 
So that was my full-time geek besides the school where my family put me through to study finance. A lot of my family is uh, working in finance and they pursue me to do finance as well. Uh, so I, while I was studying finance, I was doing professional fencing. And for the listeners who cannot see, Gabriel in his beautiful office has a sword behind him, one of his fencing swords. It's a, a beautiful thing to see a, he carries with him. Yeah. <laughs> so you were studying finance. Where did that transition come to where you make that transition into hospitality from finance? What was that moment? So uh, at some point with the fencing, my career unfortunately came to an end very young because of some injuries I had. So I started coaching mm -hmm. and I left Romania to become a fencing coach in Dublin, Ireland. I quickly realized that fencing is not as laborious and doesn't create as much money for me to be able to survive. So while I was teaching fencing at Trinity College in Dublin, I started to work in hospitality and uh, believe it or not, my first job in Dublin, Ireland in hospitality was washing dishes again. I guess that was my comfort <laughs> zone, but it was the Drury Hotel on O'Connell Street, uh, right downtown in, in the center of Dublin, where I started washing dishes again. What kind of hotel is that? I'm not familiar with it. What was that hotel like? Is that an upscale hotel, boutique hotel? What kind it's of a, place is that? It's an upscale hotel. It's a, it's a British chain, Drury. Mm -hmm. And uh, they manage quite a few hotels. I don't know how many they have now, but they had quite a few hotels in the UK and Ireland. That's awesome. So then how did you start moving up out of washing dishes, which is your favorite, we've learned? <laughs> how, how did you get out of the dish pit? So I met a couple of friends that were working for a company called Fifth Avenue Food. And um, this company was doing all the catering for a very famous venue in Dublin. And I joined their company and we were providing the catering with about 12, 14 restaurants. And it was kind of a fast pace and uh, fast food, fast paced, casual dining. Mm -hmm. And during any show at the Royal Dublin Society, you could serve in one day up to 20, 30,000 people. So it was a pretty big production. Wow. Um, I did some very famous concerts there. I remember I did the uh, John Bon Jovi. That's my, uh, one of my favorite. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and you know what I did that I will never forget besides the horse show, which is one of the most famous in the world in Dublin, Ireland. I actually did Tina Turner's final concert. The final concert was at Royal Dublin Society. And uh, I, I was able to meet her and uh, actually change, exchange some words with her before she went on stage for her very final concert. That's awesome. And you didn't scare her, right? So she did a good job. She did a great job, yeah. <laughs> before she went on there, so. But she, she never came back, which I respected her a lot. A lot of actors go out and then they come, they try to do a comeback. She's never tried to do a comeback. That's true, you know? Like yeah. you get to see a lot of cool things when you're in hospitality, right? right? That's yeah. one of the perks that we all have. We get to meet a lot of cool people and see a lot of cool moments in time. That's one of the big ones. So that's really cool that you got to be there. Right. So you're with them, you grow to an assistant general manager. Right. And I, then stopped, you, I stopped washing dishes. You stop washing dishes. You're starting to move up the chain a little bit, right. <laughs> make, a, make a name for yourself. And right. then you go over to Edinburgh as a restaurant yeah. manager, right? I actually, I came here in the U.S. still with the fencing. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, my friend that I was with at the time moved to Edinburgh. So I decided to follow and move to Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, I got a job as a restaurant manager in a, at the Roxburgh Hotel, which is one of the oldest hotels in Edinburgh. Besides the Caledonian is the second oldest hotel. And it's a really, really nice hotel. I got to meet a lot of famous people there from the UK. I got to spend some time with Madonna. That's and, cool. Um, and we, we developed an incredible team over there. Believe it or not, 90% of our guests are from here, from the US. And uh, once 9-11 happened, the entire mm-hmm. business kind of died down immediately. Right, because you so, were there during that time. Right, right. So because the business died, then I got a couple of jobs in London, but nothing notable. And then I moved from London to the beautiful Greenville, South Carolina, which is still one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, so I want to know about this. Let's not jump over that. That's a big move, right? So you're going across the ocean to South Carolina. Did you know anything about that? I don't know this part of the story of yours. So I'm now, I want to hear this part. How did you end up there? So I ended up there because I was helping one of my friends to open a fencing school. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't do it on his own. He needed my credentials in order to open the fencing school. So that's how I ended up in, in Greenville, South Carolina. But immediately after I got there, I knew that I need to get into hospitality because I loved it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I knew best. So, so when you when you were there, right, like you are applying at different hotels or you knew someone at the hotel you started working at? Or what was that process? Because that's a, a, a pretty significant jump. I, I looked at the map and I chose the top three hotels. I went in person. I asked for the HR office and I gave mm-hmm. my resume and I introduced myself. As soon as the HRD from the Westin Point had met me, she didn't let me go. She actually kept me there until I met with the GM and they hired me on the spot. So what was that first job? Do you remember what that first kind of job in the U.S. was like? Yeah, I mean, South Carolina is a bit different and I have to tell you, I appreciate it so much because it taught me at a very young age how to slow down and enjoy life. Obviously, the change in pace from Europe to Spartanburg, South Carolina was quite significant. Yeah, I can only imagine. I, I remember setting up half of a wedding by myself while my entire team was setting up the other half. It was that kind of a distance <laughs> in pace, but... You know what? I loved, first of all, I loved the beautiful sightseeing and Mm -hmm. I love the people, some incredible people, huge hearts. And uh, at the end of the day, they show me that it works out even if you don't go 100 miles an hour. And sometimes you get to actually enjoy it better and remember it better, slowing down the pace a little bit. So I really appreciate that part of my, my career. Yeah, it's a good point, right? Sometimes you don't have to go fast forward all the time. You take that moment and you can appreciate the small details and, and get to know your team. I'm sure your team loved you there. Right. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm still in touch with a couple of them from that job. So you go from Weston and then you're going to Intercontinental Hotels. So one of the, the biggest brands in the world. What got you to change over into the Intercontinental world? So in Bucharest, Romania, the only big hotel we've had when I was growing up was the Intercontinental Hotel. Mm-hmm. And I love traveling and I love hospitality since very young age. And I kept looking up at that building and I said, man, I wish I could work in that building, in that brand, that company. I really wish I can uh, work one, one day in my life. And when I moved to New Orleans, there was an Intercontinental there. 
it was my first city that had an intercontinental. So I went and applied at the intercontinental. Uh, I applied at 10 other hotels and I was in final negotiation to two hotels when the intercontinental called me back. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I was lucky and I'm blessed that this uh, happened to me quite a few in my career, but the I clicked with the HRD and she kept me there and I met everybody and they made me a job offer on the spot. So although I was in final negotiations with two other hotels, I stayed there and they hired me on the spot. And that was one of the best moves of my life, to be honest, because Intercontinental is so diverse and so well expanded in the US as well as outside of the US that for a hospitality career-driven individual is probably one of the best companies to work for. They love to develop people, promote from within, and move people around as needed for their career, not only for what positions they need. I mean, I'm, I'm super happy that I was able to, to get a job with them because as you can see in my bio, Steve, I've held jobs with them in various cities in the U.S. Right, I see that. Yeah, and... So I started with them in New Orleans. I actually went through the big hurricane Katrina. What was that like? Oh my God. It was quite an experience. I think it's the first time when I really feared for my life so many times in one week. At the beginning, because of the weather and the breakage. After the hurricane, because of the floods and what we are seeing on the news. Were you in the hotel? Did you stay in the hotel or were you at home? Where were you? No, in the hotel. We were in the hotel working. My wife and I, actually my girlfriend at the time and my current wife and I, we both stayed in the hotel and worked in the hotel throughout the hurricane. And then uh, after the flood fear, then the looters fears, there were shootings on the street and it was quite a scene. Our corporate office in day three after the hurricane, they told us that that's it, just get in the cars. We had about 12 guests with us and Mm -hmm. uh, nine associates and we all created a caravan we got uh, uh, directions and a map from the corporate office and we followed that and got out of there and, and fled to Houston. Yeah, cause that's before any of our Google Maps or Waze. So you had your probably like your MapQuest map. <laughs> no, <laughs> actually the MapQuest was not working not because even. majority of the ways out of New Orleans were flooded. So the corporate office worked with the government to get us directions to unflooded areas. They had an evacuation route that we got out. So... Quite interesting. And after a month, we were in Houston. We got Rita, which oh, was another right. big hurricane. So I found myself boarding the Intercontinental in Houston a month later. So at that point, I said, you know what? No more south. <laughs> I'm moving north. And I went to mm-hmm. Cleveland. <laughs> right. And I know that you like Cleveland a lot. I've never been. But you always say that's you, you told me it was one of your favorite places, right? What was it about Cleveland that you like working there and, and the lifestyle? Again, Intercontinental moved me there because of my background and what I wanted to do in my career. Yeah, what was your role there when you got there? So they gave me a Michelin star restaurant to run. And then when they changed CEO at the Cleveland Clinic, which is the owner, they asked me to transform that restaurant from a losing money restaurant to a making money restaurant. So I was able to develop an entire concept with a local chef, Zach Brühl. Mm-hmm. And we turned from losing a million a year to making two, three million dollars in profit a year with a very successful uh, restaurant brand called Table 45. So anyway, but during my ten- tenure with Intercontinental uh, up mm-hmm. to this point, I had to do task force in Houston. I had to do task force in San Francisco I had to do task force in many other Intercontinentals. So 
they continue developing my skills to see what is best for me, which I really appreciated. Oh, that's really so, good of them. Right. Which, which was your favorite one? I think I really like Boston. We had a brand new property there. Mm-hmm. So after Cleveland, I moved to Boston. And I think that property was my favorite up to that point. And it was a critical point in my life because my wife was a pastry chef. I was working food and beverage, a ton of hours. We were hardly ever home, but we decided that we wanted to have, went to have a family. Right. And the only way we were able to do that is by one of us getting out of the industry. And so my wife got a job at Johnson and Wells in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And I got a job at, in Boston at the Intercon. And you so, were a director at food and beverage at that time. I was assistant director of FMB. Assistant director. But we didn't have a director for a while until we got uh, one of my good friends, Steve Jusen, mm-hmm. to become the director of FMB. So, yeah, I love that property. I love Boston as a city. The one thing I didn't like in Boston was the traffic. Based on where I was living and where the hotel was, I think I had the worst traffic I've seen in the U.S. so far. How long were you driving every day? So going to work, and I started leaving home earlier and earlier until I got to 4.45. <laughs> And it was still taking me an hour and a half, an hour and five minutes. And then coming home, it was 38 minutes. Yeah, the traffic in the morning was... And believe it or not, this is after the big dig was completed. And you're probably going home late anyway, right? As an F&B director, you're going home at midnight anyway. So Yeah, going home, it was 38 minutes. Coming to work was the problem. Right. So you're in Boston. You're enjoying intercontinental life. You've been with them forever. But then the Ritz-Carlton comes knocking. How did that happen? How did you end up in the Ritz-Carlton Philly? First, I moved to Baltimore. That's right. Uh, I, I will never forget that. That was the most interesting move for me so far, even more so than London to South Carolina, because my wife did get pregnant and she was nine months pregnant when we moved to Baltimore, where we had our son, <laughs> oh, our first kid. And sure enough, as you said, <laughs> right after that, I get a call from one of my mentors and my very good friends, Olivia Brown, which was an all-time intercontinental uh, employee that was now the GM at the Ritz-Carlton in, in Philadelphia. So she called me up and her and I worked together in Cleveland. So we had a great relationship and she called me up. Hey, I have a great opportunity for you. I don't think you should pass this on. And uh, man, she was right. Because uh, I think that defined my the beginning of my luxury experience. So during my tenure in Philadelphia, I was also task force to open the Ritz-Carlton in Montreal. Mm-hmm. and Dove Mountain. So I got to learn a lot more about openings and renovations and true luxury. And I was lucky enough to meet one of my mentors, which is Bob Karasmi. He's the chief global officer for Ritz-Carlton. And we are reporting directly to him from Philadelphia because some ownership involvement. Mm-hmm. So I got to meet him and I really learned so much from him and from Olivia and uh, I, I loved my Ritz-Carlton life. And I truly thought that I found a brand that I will never leave. I thought I'm going to retire with Ritz-Carlton. Believe it or not, one of my dreams at that time was to get 25 years with Ritz-Carlton so I can get free stays for the rest of my life, which is funny <laughs> to think back now. But that became my dream with Ritz-Carlton. Well, Ritz-Carlton, I never got to work for Ritz-Carlton. I tried once. I didn't get in. But I've always had a, not a jealousy, but I've always been amazed, right, at the credo. And oh. how they train you. Because at the Lowe's, I worked with a lot of Ritz-Carlton people. And yeah. they, they all still had their credo cards on them. And I was like, what? 
what's happening here? Did you see like that was like just the level of training? Was it, would you say like a brainwashing or was it just so passionate about the company at that time that you just love what you were doing? It's the cobalt blue blood that they put in your veins. I and still have my credo card on my desk. I bet you do. You see, it's like for all your risk Carlton is out there. I'm, I'm just impressed by how you create that culture. What was it that you saw? Cause you came from intercontinental major right. hotel and you go to Ritz. What so, was the biggest difference? So my onboarding was like nothing else I've ever seen in my life. They made it very clear that they only do onboardings on, on the first Monday and Tuesday of the month. So no matter what, if I wanted a job, I had to be there no matter what. And you couldn't start before, and right? You could not start before. If you didn't start then, and you have to wait another month to start. Wow. So the strictness of it, I was, I was impressed. But what was even more impressing is that I show up on my first day and you know how many people we had in orientation? How many? Only me. <laughs> okay. So they did an entire orientation only for me, the whole presentation. That's and wild. It's wild, but that passion that they have for that brand really impacted me. So the blue blood started flowing through my veins that very first day. That's unreal. So it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, the camaraderie that I build, I mean, I still think I have 30, 40 close friends that work for Ritz Carlton still. And I wasn't with them for that long, but that's the kind of true camaraderie that they build. And I, I respect them tremendously for that. And, and uh, I respect the brand. And I, I think it all comes from Hervé Amler and Bob Karazmi and Scholze and all the big founders of that company and that brand. Yeah, what I'd love to see was just this past four months ago, right? When I was uh, over with the Lowe's, Horst right. Schultze was there, yep. right? Giving a talk and multiple people are Ritz Carlton, former Ritz Carlton at that hotel. And it was as if they were still working at that company. They I want to say they freaked out They're like, oh my God, he's here. We got to do this and we have to do that. And it needs to be perfect. And we want to impress him. And they cared that much to show him just their respect. And so that always just stuck with me. I was like, man, this is amazing to see the kind of culture that that hotel builds. And you're right. saying it too. Yeah. So, and if you remember, Steve, when, we, when you and I were working together at Trump in Doral, mm -hmm. as part of the board of directors for the Florida Hotel and Lodging Association. I remember. I called Bob Karazmi and I said, Mr. Karazmi, we have our annual event and we would love for you to be the main speaker. And he asked me, what is the date? And he said, absolutely, I'll be there. It's and, awesome. And it was in incredible, right? He took time and he flew from Shanghai to Miami to speak at our event to make me proud. See, that's life changing. You know, that sticks with yeah. you. His dedication for sure. So like you mentioned, we worked together. So you were in Ritz Carlton. I was down helping convert a Marriott into the Trump Doral and in walks Gabriel Constantine as a potential food and beverage director. And I'll never forget our time sitting down in the lobby bar, just talking back and forth. But what, how did that come about? Like you, you were in Ritz Carlton, you're growing. How did that come on the radar? So I had a, a good friend from Intercontinental in Boston. Mm-hmm that uh, she made the transition from Intercon to Trump. And she called me and she said, hey, we have this position open. I'm like, look, Alison, I am done with FMB. Mm -hmm. I really want to develop my skills and my room's skills. And I've done it already with Riscalton. And they really, basically my boss, Olivia Brown, when I moved to Riscalton, told me, you know FMB too well 
Find me a person for FMB, and after that, you are not allowed in FMB. You need to develop your room skills. You need to develop your room skills. Right. So in Ritz Carlton, I focused on rooms only for the most part of it. After I got my FMB straight, mm-hmm. so Alison was calling me, and she called me twice. And at the end, believe it or not, it all started. I listen. Just come and look at the project. We can have a nice dinner. You can meet your friend Danny. Yep. And uh, and that's it. You don't have to take the job, but at least come look at it. So finally, I talked to my wife. I said, listen, I'm just going to go. I'm going to listen. It cannot hurt me. It helps my skills with interviewing, but I'm not leaving the Riscalton. There is no way I'm leaving the Riscalton. Right. So I came there and, you know, I will never forget when the car pulled up and the palm trees and the building and the beautiful old Trump Doral was there. And I was like, yeah, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. And once I started talking with Sylvia, which was the HR director at the time, and I started meeting the people around, I met one of the family members. And then my final meeting with George Sotelo, yep. it really sparked my interest. The, the meeting with you at the time and you giving me a, a load of the size and the volume and then George Sotel is selling me the dream of renovating that and, and taking like a 1960s Cadillac and making it brand new again. Mm-hmm. Uh, really sparked my interest, but I was still not sold, nowhere near sold. So then anyway, we went through some back and forth, some negotiations, some more selling of the dream. And I finally understood that. I was not moving down by going from director of operation to back to FMB because that property and the magnitude of that property and the magnitude of the project was so much more glorious. And I spoke to my wife and you know what? At some point we are convinced. And uh, I don't want to repeat myself, <laughs> but I now that I'm thinking about, I think this was the best decision I've ever made in my career. Yeah, it's okay. It changed your your whole life. You could have been a Ritz Carlton guy. And right. I remember meeting you. I remember on the back end, almost selfishly, I, like when you were saying you're assistant director by yourself. I remember I started Christmas Day as assistant <laughs> FMB director with an FMB director. And then the next day he was out and it was just me for four months, which was the learning for me. And George Satella, one of the best, we would say one of the best managing directors right in the world. He's been at some of the best properties. So I'm going to find you someone who's going to be a great mentor. Don't worry. In comes Gabriel Constantine. And we just hit it off. I remember we hit it off. We talked forever and we continued working together there and really transforming it. I have great memories of working there with you. You looked out for you. You cared for people. You treated people great. And you really wanted to see people grow and be the best that they could be. So right. what is something that you remember? Because we had such you know a lot of fun there, but it was also really hard. <laughs> To work in that I mean, hotel at times. What was something you remember? Do you remember my first day when you and I had breakfast? I will never forget my first day. I walked in there and George Sotelo told me, you must start March 3rd. Otherwise, there is no deal. Wow. And March 3rd was the first day of the tournament. And I go oh, in the morning. Right. Steve, <laughs> we eat breakfast. And then Steve is telling me, listen, we have 150 temps. We're going to run 20,000 covers a day. And I'm like, wait, what? Is this a stadium? Oh, no, it's the first day of WGC. I remember that. Yes. And I'm like, wait, what? So then George Sotelo grabs me by the arm and he takes me, come, come, I want you to meet someone. And he introduces me to Donald Trump and then to Ivanka 
Eric and Don Jr. all at once. I'm like, wait, what? We did, this happened in the first hour from when I woke up. And we hit it running, Steve, if you remember. It, oh, yeah. We did a tournament. Then after the tournament, they shipped me to Las Vegas for some catering show mm-hmm. to bring back some supplies. And man, then when I came back, the building was being torn apart. Renovation started. And from there is all history. We changed the entire brand, changed the entire hotel, broke it down to the very, very minimum. I still remember starting reconstruction. And then the boss came and said, no, absolutely not. We need to do this as well. And that's how, how the Ivanka Trump ballroom, no, the Crystal Ballroom, I'm sorry, yep. came about. We had to start rebuilding. So we had so many setbacks, but we knew we had one year timeline to renovate that place because another tournament was coming. So I remember at one point having everything shut down except the pool. Yes. The small pool where it's <laughs> right. tennis court now. And all the food was being cooked out of there for room service, for everything. I remember guests walking around and say, why are we here? Remember when they made all the golf, when they killed all the grass in all the golf courses and they were all brown? <laughs> yes. I do I remember, remember that. I remember the jackhammering and lady, there was a lady, she was very, very petite. And she went by the jackhammer to tell him to stop because the CEO will fire her. And the gentleman didn't even phase and the construction kept going. And we sure did reopen the following year by March. I remember, I remember sitting there for everyone listening, Gabriel and I, so we had a year of working together, getting this renovation done to get ready for the next golf tournament and our signature restaurant, or that was going to do all the volume of business. We didn't have carpet down the day before. I remember sitting in there on the floor, half carpet, wondering how we were going to operate the next morning, but we worked overnight, got it done and we opened for business and it was a success, right? right? So it just shows anything get done. If you have a great team and you really care about the people you're working with, man, but I have good memories of that place with you. Well, me as well. I wouldn't give it for the world. Same here. I then started my entrepreneur voyage, which you were very supportive of me saying, go chase your dreams. So I thank you for that. And you continued on and continue to grow and you opened another place. So I thought you would get the opening out of your blood. What was that like opening up in DC? So after Doral, I said, I will never do opening, I will never <laughs> do renovation. I am done. Yeah. Sayonara, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And so then the family purchased the old post office building and uh, man, what a project, right? I was looking online and I was not thinking of moving or anything like that. And then we were at an operations meeting in the morning. It's called a Trump talk. And on the VIP list, I hear Mikel Damelincor. And this was the GM at the time for the, actually he was already the managing director for the pre-opening team in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. That intrigued me. I, I wanted to meet him. I wanted to speak with him. I wanted to learn about it. I was super excited about it. And uh, I sat down with Mikel, we had lunch together and he told me all about it. And and then at the end of the lunch, he said, so are you interested? I'm like, interested in what? I said, well, I think you'd be good. You'd really fit the the concept and what we want to do there. No, no, no. My, my family is all set in Miami and mm-hmm. I promised them I'm not going to move for a long time. I want to grow my family here and everything. And I said, yeah, but this project, you know, will make you worldwide famous. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, yeah. Whoever opens this place is going to be worldwide famous for many reasons. We're going to get five star in the first year. Forbes is going to talk about us and we're going to be in all the magazines. 
it's gonna mm -hmm. be amazing yeah i i start getting more and more excited and then before you know it i was moving to washington dc to open that property i remember that call where yeah. i we were just like catching up and you're like i think i'm moving to dc i'm like what <laughs> you just right. bought a beautiful house and you're, you got all those fun things happening down here right right i remember that right. so I never thought I would move out of Miami. I love Miami so much. I'm so passionate about Miami as a city. People know it only for South Beach, but Miami is an incredible city. It's true. I'm born and raised yeah. here. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else for myself. But I, You're from Palmetto Bay, right? No. <laughs> Pinecrest, man. Pinecrest. Oh, my God. You're Pinecrest. Two, two streets north. Come on. So at NDC, you mentioned something. That's a, that's a good sales pitch, right? And you guys achieved everything he said that you guys were going to achieve together. We, we sure did. We sure did. I mean, some of the biggest successes we had was getting five star in the first year from Forbes. But besides that, so we opened on September 12th. We did election, which it was an incredible party in the lobby. The lobby of that hotel is about the size of a football field. Mm -hmm. So developing that bar was absolutely incredible. I remember sitting on cement, like you said, Steve, like on a slab of cement in the lobby and thinking, what concept can I develop here in order for this place to have a vibe and a life when it's so big? Right. And that's how I came up with the champagne concept, with the sabering. We don't have a kitchen on that floor. As you can imagine, it's a hundred year old building. We have so many negatives without a kitchen on the floor. Without, So we had to come up with these Geridons with cheese and charcuterie, Geridons with chocolate, Geridons with champagne, sabering just to create an entire concept to make that place alive, whether you have 100 people or mm -hmm. 700 people. So anyway, we went through all that exercise. I was part of choosing from the pillow and the spoons and the glass and the beds and everything in that place I was a part of choosing. And I'm really proud to, to say it. After the first year, we got a four or five star. We opened again on September 12th. We did election. Then we did grand opening. Mm -hmm. Then we did holidays and inauguration all within six months. And inauguration in Washington, D.C. is like nothing else you, you'll ever see. So yeah, it was very successful. And we all talk about quality and we talk about what that hotel has delivered. But truly, my entire career, I focus number one and most important, I focus on my team. Mm -hmm. and, and I truly believe that. And once you focus on a team and you take care of them, you start a, a circle of success all around. You take care of them. They take care of your guests, you spend more money. Your owners are happy. They make more money. They pay more taxes. The city is happy. And then it goes back to your employees. And it's a circle of success, which I think we, we really mastered in Washington, D.C. That hotel was absolutely yeah. incredible and the success that we had over there. You know, so, I'm curious, right? Because your goal is five stars. Is that posted everywhere? Is that everyone's mission is to get there and you talk about it daily? Or is it simply you just care about your team and they care about what they're doing? How do you get a team to get to that level? First, you have to care for them and about them. That's right. number one. But number two is you need to talk about fours not every day, a hundred times a day. There you go. So you need both. You need to take care of them and they need to follow you in your dream to conquer that. If they don't follow you, what's a leader without his team following? Just a man walking around, right? Right. So to be a leader and for them to breathe the same way you do, you need to talk about it a thousand times a day. Like today, for instance, is 12.45 now. We started mm -hmm. at 12. Yep. From 8 to 12 in the four hours, I attended four lineups and we talk only about Forbes and how to take care of our guests. It's amazing. So you have to do it every day, all day long. 
It's just to have the true passion, right? You have to right. lead it and you have to hold people accountable, right? If they're not matching it. Remember, our Trump brand is built upon two very, very important philosophies. And that's why I love this company the most out of all the companies I've ever worked for. We are built on the concept of never settling. So no matter how good we get at anything, there is always space for better. And that comes from our founder and we never settle. And the second one, when we hire people, we hire them for their passion, drive and enthusiasm. I could care less about their experience in the job. If they have those three skills built in, I can teach them anything. So it's never settle and passion, drive and enthusiasm. It's a great way even for life, right? Right, exactly. For everything. Right. So you achieve these amazing goals in DC. You are now, as Mikel said, world famous for opening this hotel. Now Chicago comes calling. How does that occur? And how do you end up in that iconic building in the city? So I think I did a, an okay job for the company in DC because when the position came open, I was already expressing my interest to have my own building. I told them that from when they hired me originally and they promised they will help me get there. Right. And when I was already working, we were opening the uh, Trump in Vancouver and I expressed my interest for that job. But then Chicago opened and I will never forget, it was a Thursday evening around seven o'clock and I get a call and they gave me this. That's it. They say well, you're here. You're coming to Chicago. Yeah. For someone to give you that chance, it's amazing. That's true. Yeah. So I came to Chicago one, like you said at the beginning. So they told me, do you want it? I'm like, okay. I typically talk to my wife about this or there was no time for that. So they say, because if you want it, you are starting Sunday morning. Wow. So it was a done deal. I don't, I will never forget going home and telling my wife and the kids. And they're like, yeah, you can go on your own. We love Washington, D.C. There is nowhere moving to Chicago. You can go and commute. You can do whatever you want. And uh, I finally broke a deal with the kids on that Saturday. They say, okay, we will move to Chicago with one condition. If you buy us a dog. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. I, I hate dogs. I never want to have a dog in my life. And everything. So, uh oh, you're here. I hear you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I closed the deal. I said, okay, we're getting a dog. Mm -hmm. And that's how I convinced them to actually move to Chicago. Beautiful dog. Yes. So I kept my promise. Mm -hmm. I moved in the fall. I had to commute for nine months. And once I finished with my commutes, when they came, they moved here in June after school. And I was looking for a dog. I wanted to surprise them right when they came. And I found a dog that they loved, and uh, that's Brownie. If you can show mm -hmm. a picture, Steve, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but yes, yeah, so now here I am in Chicago, one of the most iconic buildings in the world, like you said. Still one of the tallest structure made out of concrete. It's a 2.7 million square feet building. It's almost like a zip code, but instead of going white, it's going up. And, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody will give you a chance like that for a first time number one to manage a building like this the the trump organization and the trump family really takes care of their people and they took a chance on me and i don't think they regretted uh, it's been more than four years now and i don't think they regretted one bit uh, last year believe it or not during the pandemic we had one of the most successful financial years since the building came up in 2008 so it's amazing 
it's an incredible building. I have an incredible team. I couldn't be more happy than my team. And again, I'm nothing without my team. Uh, but you know what? We hired and recruited together and put it together. Mm-hmm. Except this pandemic and dealing with all the shortages in staffing, we are really collecting our fruit for all the hard work for so long. So I want to ask you one last question as we go, because you brought that up, right? It's a challenging time. A lot of people are leaving the industry. It's hard to find people across the country. We see it everywhere. And we need great people to be in this industry. How are you finding the right people or how are you creating the right people or how are you building that culture on your team just to continue Uh, that? I mean, I think it's very hard to find people. It's a hundred times worse than it was before the pandemic. And it was hard at that time. Right. You have to take more risk and you have to invest a lot more. In terms of what? In terms of going out and finding people or promoting the the brand or... in terms of talent, and when I'm talking about taking risks, I'm not talking hiring someone completely inadequate for the job. I'm not talking about settling and lowering your standards, mm-hmm. but you got to keep looking. I'm going to give you an example. So we had an assistant front office manager position open for 18 months. Right. I've interviewed maybe 50 people. Wow. I couldn't hire one. So you are talking, we went through two full seasons and now the position is still open and I still don't have anybody for that position. We are short one for 18 months. And when we hired one, we lost one. So we're still short one. And that's the kind of challenges that we are dealing with. Uh, and I know it's not only Chicago or the US, it's it's worldwide. But I think we just lost so much, so much talent from our industry because hospitality is not easy job. It's a hard work. And people decided to take retail jobs, work for Amazon, work from home. Mm-hmm. And we lost so much talent pool that is going to take years of people coming out of school. And it's going to take years for leaders like you and me to sell this industry and to convince people to come back to this industry. It's going to take years. And if we don't start now to go and advocate at all the schools and all the hospitality schools and look, as hard as our work is, is very rewarding. It helps you build character, Mm -hmm. strengthen your, your qualities. It's very rewarding again. So we need to keep selling that and get people when they come out of school to want to work in here. Listen, I think that's great. I couldn't have said it any better. Gabriel, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. I know how busy it is to run that hotel, to spend it with me and all the listeners, because I think it's small things like this, that we can really show them the inside and what you go through day to day that will pique the interest of getting our industry back on its feet. So Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. uh, I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity.